0: And welcome, welcome to, to name's us. And the podcast this is another one of our special bonus episodes, and it's just me today. And so you know normally we'd have a, bit of a guest with us as well, and we have a bit of a quid at all. But one of the things we're going to be trying to do a little bit on the show is get more content out to you. And one of the challenges we've been having is just the time to record. But where there is sort of moments and things going on, and we want to create some space to talk about it, we're trying to sort of whip things out pretty quickly. So we're still continuing on with with come our series that we're working on, but you know you're going to see some of these talking about the alcohol the Alcohol Bill, sale and supply of alcohol, harm minimization and amendment bill. I wish to have Chloe Swarbrick join us, and we're going to be talking a little bit about alcohol harm, and in this bill in particular, something we can do as a community to actually make our community safer. And one thing I just, you know, I just want to point out, like it's really easy in these conversations for things to become super partisan and political. To to think, oh well, I don't agree with that person, so I'm not going to listen, or I don't agree with this, or I don't agree with that, and we end up making issues that are really just about us and our people and our community you know partisan issues this i think this is an issue where hey regardless of where you sit politically we can kind of agree in my view this is something that you know there's some real real harm happening in our community and i think we all agree that something needs to be done to ensure that our children and our whanau are safe and uh, yeah we're going to talk about that a little bit now so yeah i hope you're yeah i uh, I hope it's interesting I hope it's something that you're willing to sort of sit down and have a bit of a quarter or about and we'll just kind of see where it goes but thanks for joining us and I really Take hope you enjoy the show stay. Stay. the closer I get the further all right, kia ora, um, welcome to Win Lambs Are Silent, the podcast, and we're very excited to have uh, Chloe Wilbrick with us today. Welcome to the show, mate. Kia
1: ora, hoa. thank you for having me. No
0: worries, I think this is your second time with us. I think you, yeah. actually, you kicked off the podcast. Did first, I? Yeah, very first episode. No way. So, oh, it's look at that. to have you back. Full circle, we're still it. fighting. <laughs> still, still fighting the good fight. Um, so, well, for those who maybe don't know anything about you, is there anything mm. you want to share about yourself?
1: Uh, Well, I'd say kia ora, Um, my name is Chloe Swarbrick, I uh, have the privilege of serving my community as a Green Member of Parliament for Auckland Central, um, I live in the city centre, and yeah, I do the do in my about a dozen portfolios, which is the case when you're an MP for a smaller party. <laughs> Those portfolios that are probably particularly related to this corridor we we'll be having today in the mental health space and in drug law reform. I also hold our secondary finance portfolio as the Greens, so in the kind of revenue and tax space, and I sit on our finance and expenditure committee in parliament where yeah, been trying to lift the lid on a few of the economic assumptions that we make around what's normal in terms of distribution of wealth, for example. But we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. Well,
0: Maybe another day.
1: I mean, it's we'll kind be... of related, yeah. right? Like if you're yeah. talking about um, drug harm, but particularly alcohol mm. harm and the proliferation of bottle loads, then in Tamaki Makaurau, you have to look nowhere else than South Auckland. So,
0: so maybe we'll touch it. Yeah. So, I mean, what we're talking about today is your um, your reform bill around mm. the alcohol reduction of harm. First, do you want to tell us a little bit about that bill? Like, What are you trying to achieve there?
1: Yeah, for sure. So it's probably useful to kind of frame it up in terms of how it was drafted and the way that it was drafted, um, what the limitations of the kind of parliamentary process, but particularly the members' bill processes, maybe what a members' bill actually is as yeah, well. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll start with that. What, it, what is a members' bill? So, um, and what's even a bill? So a bill is a draft law. Um, when something has been passed by Parliament and uh, given its stamp by the Governor General on behalf of the Queen, because we're still, or now the King, because we're still a constitutional monarchy, um, then it becomes an Act of Parliament. So it's kind of enforceable and enforced. That is the law. So a bill is a draft law, uh, and to get a bill into the House, there's 120 MPs, and between twenty. 20- five to 30 of those MPs are ministers. Government ministers have the specific privilege of being able to introduce what are called government bills, whereas if you are a kind of backbench MP, not holding that position of being a frontbench government minister, then your opportunity is through what's called the members ballot, uh, which in Aotearoa is a biscuit tin. So, you know, for the kind of 70-odd that are in the ballot at any given time, there's a range of different um, kaupapa that people put forward. Some of them are kind of more partisan, just to make kind of political points. Others are to try and wave the flag for an issue to drive something forward. Um, Like, for example, a very meaty piece of legislation proposed by my colleague Ores Garaman recently on democracy, uh, which did everything from lowering the voting threshold to 4% to lowering the voting age to 16% to... uh, uh, reducing uh, the threshold for anonymous donations and you know basically the government said way too much to chew off with a member's bill but but useful for pushing the conversation and um, raising these issues yeah. so there's there's a number of different ways that you can go about producing a member's bill um, and you then have to rely either on the luck of the draw which is like a lottery so you have a little chip which is associated a number to your bill in the kind of chronological order in which they came in uh, and the other way is uh, for you to get consensus of at least 61 non-executive MPs, so those are non-ministers and non-associate um, ministers or undersecretaries, it is supposed to be a pathway for our parliamentarians to work together. Mm. But in my experience, and actually just in the bold fact that we so far haven't had a members bill throughout this entire term that's managed to reach that threshold, unfortunately politics still really gets in the way. So uh, my members bill is an alcohol harm minimization bill, which targets two really key interventions that I thought would be the least uh, controversial because they don't deal with price and they don't deal with things like age, which have historically carried so much controversy. So the first intervention is around removing what's called the special appeals process for local alcohol policies. What's local alcohol policy? Well. Glad you asked. (laughs) A local alcohol policy uh, is something that theoretically... Our local governments, so our councils across the country, were supposedly empowered to do under the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act 2012. So it was supposedly empowering our local communities through our councils to go consult with the broader community, create a local alcohol policy that, you know, for example, in places like Whanganui, uh, puts a limit on the number of bottle shops uh, or on the density of those bottle shops. So how many, you know, people in a populated area versus how many bottle shops. Things like, you know, sales in supermarkets. And opening times and a range of other things. The problem with that ostensible ability for our councils to implement these local alcohol policies is that alongside that part of the Salem Supply of Alcohol Act, there was the introduction of a effectively special appeals process. So, this is above and beyond what some people may know of as judicial appeals, where if you don't like a law and you feel like it's inconsistent with the purpose and how it's being applied, you can take it to court. This is a different, unique extra appeal process that exists specifically laid out in the legislation, which has enabled uh, in particularly Auckland, but also in Christchurch, particularly the supermarkets, but also a range of bottle shops to take our councils to court, which has meant that in Tamaki Makoto, our council has been fighting for seven years and exhausted more than a million dollars trying to implement a local alcohol policy, which has gone all the way to the Supreme Court and we're still fighting. So it would remove that special appeals process. So Basically, things could still be still be judicially appealed, um, which deals with some of the Bill of Rights Act mm. issues that you know the National Party wave around. But it also, critically, is just about making local democracy work. Mm. So that's a really complicated way of basically saying, give power back to the people <laughs> and don't allow them to be mowed over by corporate interests. The second part of the bill. Uh, deals with three of the seven, I believe, recommendations from a 2014 ministerial forum, which is kind of a government-commissioned group, uh, chaired by Sir Graham Lowe, commissioned by the then national government, uh, to deal with looking at what are the best interventions uh, for particularly reducing sports-related alcohol harm and particularly exposure to young people and therefore kind of the most acute or earliest entry point into harm. The recommendations basically extended to in the long term, we want to see a complete removal of alcohol sponsorship, advertising and exposure in sports. But the part that my bill deals with is just for uh, product only advertising and broadcast sports. So the big end of town. Uh, and yeah, that's basically what the bill does. is two key things, the local alcohol policies being fixed and removal uh, of sports advertising and sponsorship in broadcast sports sorry alcohol advertising and broadcast
0: sports awesome so that's an awesome rundown in the bill like someone sitting here thinking like what's the real harm though like what Mm. are we what are we actually trying to solve if we went down into the dirt how is this harming or affecting people in the real world Mm.
1: so if we just take a step back and consider alcohol as a drug which it is and we, we feel I find it really fascinating particularly in the drug law reform and even in the mental health space how we seem really unwilling to grapple with the reality that this Substance, which is consumed by 80% of New Zealand adult New Zealanders, is indeed a drug Mm. (laughs) and it causes a heck of a lot of harm based on pretty much every metric that we have in terms of the cost to, you know, from a right wing perspective, productivity, but also in terms of our road toll, uh, in terms of people landing in the emergency unit and hospital, in terms of uh, preventable health issues and earlier death, in terms of correlation, particularly to suicide uh, and other mental ill health and therefore self-medication and a range of other issues. Alcohol is, based on all of those measures, at a macro level the most harmful drug that we have in our society. It costs us billions of dollars a year. And I think as with all drugs, my approach is, well, if we accept that the drug can cause harm, how then do we create a legal response that reduces that harm? And in the context of something like cannabis, I'd say, well, our criminal prohibition approach is causing far more harm than it is preventing because it's pushing people underground where they're consuming unknown substances of unknown quality to unknown effect with a lack of ability to put their hand up and ask for help if they need it because they risk going away in handcuffs not to mention a range of other issues with regard to medicinal cannabis etc when it comes to alcohol i'd say that we have a model that privileges commercial and business interests over the health of our communities particularly of our young people so yeah the 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 basic thrust of it is that Alcohol can cause harm in the same way that any drug can cause harm. And we have an option in a spectrum of different regulatory responses where at the one end you have complete criminal prohibition. It doesn't work when it comes to alcohol. They tried it in the 1910s in the United States and it was really clear that it didn't work. And at the other end of town you have a complete legal free market that also doesn't work when you're talking about a substance that can cause as much harm as it does. So what's the kind of sweet spot? Well, you drag it back from both of those extremes and it looks like sensible legal regulation that is evidence informed with an opportunity to intervene in problematic usage, but also accepting the reality that some people are going to use these substances regardless of what the legal framework says. Mm-hmm. So how do you help and support those people who need it, but also provide for some agency in there? I,
0: I think that comment that alcohol is the most harmful drug in oh. our society is, is probably something that a few people haven't thought about or recognized, but so like when you're saying that to be clear, like when we look at sort of meth, cannabis, mm. you know, how do you rate that in relation to those other what in we a would macro deem level being really harmful
1: yeah so again this is why I say at a macro level when you take into account all of those different variables in terms of the scale of harm uh, and therefore the amount of people who are detrimentally impacted and the range of earlier deaths and otherwise but also actually even in the criminal justice system you only have to talk to the police locally here as I obviously often do and they'll tell you and you'll see it actually if you go out with them late at night that the major issue that they're dealing with is alcohol fueled crimes um, and disruption and disturbances so yeah again this is not to discount that obviously the likes of methamphetamine on an individual's usage when you know currently obviously also under criminal prohibition that that is incredibly harmful for an individual and for their whānau and for the broader community that's not to discount the reality that also um, at a macro level alcohol causes an immense amount of harm both of these things can be true at the same time
0: What's, what's, your, what's your thoughts around um, when you weigh up sort of those two things? Mm. You know, how, where do you come down?
1: First thing I'd say is that we heard the same arguments actually around tobacco sponsorship. So it wasn't until the 90s when we banned tobacco sponsorship and people, you know, might forget that we used to have uh, tobacco sponsorship all across many different sporting codes and the tobacco industry and the advertising industry and some members of the sporting community all argued that everything would fall over and sports clubs would be, you know, in a dire strait if we ended the advertisement and the sponsorship uh, from tobacco industry to our sporting codes. Obviously that didn't happen. The sky didn't fall in. There were alternative sponsors that were found. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the same can be said when it comes to alcohol. So there's been a lot of economic modelling that's been done on this, but I won't bore you with that. What it shows is that basically the majority of uh, these sponsorship positions will be taken up almost mm-hmm. immediately within you know three to six months. Uh, the other thing that I'd say is that unfortunately despite requesting time and again from minister of sports uh, and recreation from the advertising industry from the alcohol industry and from those involved in the sporting sector including sports new zealand our kind of peak body that reports to the government the latest data on the value the monetary value of alcohol advertising and sponsorship to our sporting codes none have been able to give me an up-to-date figure Mm -hmm. so unfortunately we are kind of shadow boxing and the most up-to-date figure we're dealing with is from 2014 from that ministerial forum commissioned by the Nats, which they subsequently did nothing with, uh, which is around 20 point, $20.3 million so the other really interesting component there is that all of those sectors the alcohol advertising and sports sectors have also told me that they estimate that it's lower now Mm. because you've seen actually a real trend from actually increasingly a number of our grassroots sporting codes to say they don't want to be advertising and promoting this kind of product particularly to the younger people who come to their games Mm. so yeah the argument just doesn't hold water it doesn't stack up particularly when you take into account based on some really local research that we have out of the university of otago medical school that uh, young people are exposed to alcohol advertisements and marketing Uh, i believe it's 1.4 times a day by virtue of sports so this is in posters that they might have in their room stuff that they might see on television when they're walking down the street this is just through sporting 1.4 times a day but when you take into account viewership of broadcast sports, it's between one and three times a minute that you're exposed to alcohol marketing. You know, people will say, well, you know, there's, there's individual choice involved. Sure. <laughs> but the reality is, as I think both of us would acknowledge, all human beings are informed by their environment and there is a reason that the alcohol industry spends millions and millions of dollars saturating our environments with messages that normalizes and glamorizes their product so that we all feel peer pressured to consume it that's how culture works
0: what do you think that impact is having you know when you when you step back right and you think mm. about it like we have children advertising a drug on a jersey when they go play a game every single week, like what impact is this having on our children's psychology, on their development, on you know their association relationship with this mm. drug? Mm.
1: I think if anything, it plays the role, and this is actually one of the more fascinating things in hearing Sir Graham Lowe talk about his journey mm. and you know chairing that two thousand fourteen forum was realizing just how ingrained in particularly our sporting culture um, alcohol and alcohol advertising and sponsorship is and both of those two things or three things rather kind of all conflated and are kind of the same thing what impact does it have on our young people well it has the impact of normalizing and glamorizing this drug. And again, I don't say this drug for sake of kind of trying to demonize uh, drugs. I'm the last person to want to stigmatize and demonize inherently any of these substances because we have to accept they they exist. You know, alcohol is ethanol and, you know, it it exists. And people have made moonshine since, uh, you know, dawn of human history. But I think it all really does boil down to realizing that We haven't also had the same kind of, just to name it really explicitly, kind of capitalistic efforts to drive up consumption of these products in the same way that we've seen, you know, since the dawn of the industrial age.
0: Why do you think they're, you know, when we step back, you know, I think the points you raise are really critical, right? And it's causing so much mm. harm. There's a lot of lack of regulation. And even in the sporting space, these are children. Mm. And, and largely, you know, you talk about adults, you know, whatever, but we're talking about kids in a lot mm. of cases. You know, I know every sport club I've been involved in, and you've got five, six-year-olds running around with alcohol advertising on their shirts. We even think about sort of the broader context, you know, the all blacks and how associated now our, our big sporting brands and names are. And and I appreciate that this bill isn't targeting that, I don't believe yet. Is that right? Or it uh, will it eventually? Maybe you can clarify. Grassroots that. codes. No, grassroots, it's not targeting international sports. Uh, this so station. there
1: is there's currently um drafting in the bill which is just based on so the bill's based on recommendations one, three, and seven who may be <laughs> uh seeking citations at home uh of the two thousand fourteen forum and one of the key recommendations that these were all the kind of immediate steps that you could take one of the key fish hooks that they identified is that the practical implementation of this kind of lower hanging more immediate ban Mm. on alcohol advertising and broadcast sports would be the contracts for international sporting events so it provides for effectively the opportunity for exclusion if it jumps through a few other Mm. hoops for an international game but it wouldn't automatically give yeah Yeah. license
0: so so thinking about all of that and and again, thinking about that harm. Um, yeah, why do you think there is such opposition to to this? Specifically in, in, in Parliament at the moment, you know, uh, one of the things I've found interesting is having these conversations when you break it down and actually think about this. It seems like there's a lot of support for it in the community. Yeah, wh- where's that opposition coming from and what's motivating it?
1: So you're right that there is... A lot of support out there you know and trying to break the ice of this issue even before it was pulled from the ballot when i was trying to get things up that other way through consensus in parliament i first started approaching local governments across the country and started with auckland council because of its experience with the laps in particular and auckland council ended up passing a remit to effectively lobby mps to pass this bill to get it out of the biscuit tin and to pass it because of how much harm Auckland Council sees and then we saw that kind of wave of endorsements down the rest of the country so we now have endorsements from councils across this country that represent more than half of the country's population That's we great. also have support from Auckland City Mission from uh, Alcohol Health Watch from Hapai Ti ha Ora, from Consumer from those involved in the medical sector from so many different orgs from Alzheimer's New Zealand and then in terms of the actually vocal opposition, to date, in terms of political parties that have nailed their mast, um, their colours to the mast of opposition, have been national in act. And then I think, to a certain extent, I was kind of naive in when I first got this bill drawn from the biscuit tin uh, in thinking that the alcohol lobby would actually come out and argue this publicly. What I've been really gutted to come to learn is just how shady they behave. They have not once sought to publicly debate or to really fulsomely discuss this legislation. But I know that they have been having these conversations behind the scenes and, you know, I guess in terms of the political reality and you know, to your point around where's the political opposition coming from, it's pretty nonsensical from both national and act, and I've gone through it many times with Paul Goldsmith, for example, his many red herring and a lot illog- illogical arguments, including for example that, you know, we're picking on sports to which you can say, Well, we have no other sector in this country that is as highly studied when it comes to alcohol exposure and advertising as the sporting industry. But also if you want to see it extended to arts and cultural events, we can do that. But of course, They don't, so it's not a logical or in good faith argument. And then you've got the Labour Party. So I've been working, obviously, I'm from the Greens. We've got 10 votes. Te Party Māori has two votes. That gives us 12 votes. We need 61 to pass it. So we need 49. Labour are the only ones who've said that they will use their conscience, aside from, obviously, TPM and us. That means that we can lose, of Labour's 65, about 16 of them. And what I'm concerned about is some of the noises that we've heard from some of our ministers who are saying things like, as I said before, without any quantifiable argument, that this is a really valuable funding source for our government grassroots sports without willing to engage in any of the op- uh, the opportunities for replacing that funding that I've proposed to them. And there's two main ways or being willing to quantify what the supposed high value actually is. So I think when it really boils down to a what I'm experiencing in terms of the kind of political shadow boxing because I don't really know who the opposition is or where it's coming from and it doesn't seem political <laughs> and you can't really grasp it or to take on these industries or maybe being perceived as I don't know, the fun police or, or something else mm. but again, none of that stuff really makes sense to me because at least to me, politics is supposed to be about leadership, Yeah, <laughs> you know, you get to frame up what that debate is
0: Yeah, yeah, and, the, and I guess that's the question sitting here, and you, you think about all the evidence behind this, you think about the community, you know you've just talked about all the support that's there Mm. for it, it sounds like actually Aotearoa want this, to the large point so the government currently could take this bill, right, Mm -hmm. and they could pass it if mm-hmm. they wanted to
1: I offered the bill In a question in the house On Wednesday actually To the Minister of Justice And she said nah <laughs> and what was the rationale yeah. for that? She did say that the government Is working on their own Piece of legislation um, So I'm really interested To see some details on that Because you know At the very least The one thing that I can say Is that by rattling the cages And by continuing to push The scope up And by so many of those Who fought so long and hard For action um, on alcohol harm that that the kind of opportunity that we have with the thin end of the wedge in the parliamentary space, this term being this bill, we are seeing the government realise that it has to do work. Mm. So I think that something is going to happen. I just think that we have to continue to push and to fight for real certainty, Mm. timelines and guarantees that it's going to happen because my key argument remains until that time that we have a bill in front of parliament that does two of the most consistently recommended interventions that are super well entrenched in evidence and it can do that We, Mm -hmm. we can pass that if we want to. Otherwise, we're relying on potentially another review, potentially another piece of legislation that we have no time frame, no terms of reference, and no guarantee is going to pass. And I think when it comes to particularly drug harm and particularly alcohol harm, I can't tell you the amount of reviews that I've read, and I can't tell you the amount of times that I've read parliamentary hands that's records of parliamentary debates, where MPs from whatever government of the day have voted down bills that have sought to do something in this space in terms of limiting corporate power, because the government of the day has said that it wants to do a review. That review then happens, and there's no legislative change.
0: Why are these corporations, these lobby groups, why are they so powerful? Why are they so influential with a government, especially a government like ours, which is progressive, liberal, <laughs> Labour government?
1: I think uh, part of it's got to be money and money to influence culture as well becomes... Uh, when when you think about just how entrenched drinking culture is, you know, you have a drink when you're having a good day, a bad day, just a day, when you're celebrating, commiserating, just existing. And all of the peer pressure associated to all of that because we're in such an alcohol-saturated environment. If you think about the whispers and the methodology of a campaign that the alcohol industry could seek to shake up or shape up with the powers that it has akin to the oil and gas industry or the tobacco industry, used to have or whatever else, they possibly could tip into a space of trying to frame whatever government or politician or political party tried to engage in this space as the fun police or, I don't know, they're effectively politicians being them. These politicians who seem to not want to do much in this space seem to be scared of a boogeyman that hasn't come forward and defined itself, but basically seems to be so powerful because it hasn't yet said boo and nobody knows how big that boo's gonna be. And that's been my point consistently to, you know, some MPs who may be concerned about being framed up in that way is blame me. (laughs) That's why I took this thing on. And if you want credit for it, then heck, become a co-sponsor for the bill. I'm not precious about this. I don't care who's pushing it forward. I just need it to be pushed forward. Our communities need it to be pushed forward.
0: So how does the community help? You know, you got people here sitting Look, yeah, this is something we want. We want to Mm. see this change. We want to, you know, like, we want to see this happen so that, you know, our kids in the future don't have to be dealing with the same stuff that, you know, we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Having this reform happen in our lifetime would be amazing, you know, along with a whole range of things. Like, how do we we send the message to our politicians, to our leaders? Um, How do we give them the courage to Mm. lead?
1: One of the simplest things that people um, may be able to do is uh, go to the website that was formed by... Hapai and Alcohol Health Watch and driving the start of this campaign and pulling together a range of Awesome NGOs and people, and more than 8,000 New Zealanders who signed a petition, which was tabled in Parliament a few weeks ago, accepted by Arena Williams, um, awesome Labour MP um, out in Manurewa, who's been very brave, I think, in saying that you know she stands for this copaper. People can go to that passthebill.nz website, and there is a link through there on a kind of draft email format that you can send to your MP. And I'd say you know if you live in an area with a national or MP, or with me as your MP, then you know it's probably not necessarily going to be the best rest of your time. Um, it has been funny getting emails from people um, lobbying me as the Auckland Central MP when I'm the person who proposed the bill. Thank you. Love, love the support though, right? <laughs> exactly. But if you were able to send an email uh, to a Labour MP, mm. if you've got a local one, or if one who's nearby, or just pick your favourite or your not so favourite, whatever, pick one and email them and ask them to back it and ask them if they're not why then yeah I think that's that's one of the the key um, kind of interventions beyond that um, and that's just for this bill obviously and I recognize that this bill is also a really finite thing that builds on you know immense amount of mahi for decades from people and communities who've been trying to reduce it. High- I think beyond that, it probably looks like community organizing. And in that space, there's so many orgs that are doing so many great things, including those who right now, um, Communities Against Alcohol Harm, who, you know, street corner by street corner are fighting new... Liquor shop licenses. And they mm. do some
0: real important work, eh? I guess as we start to, to wrap, mm. if you can think of, you know, maybe people that uh, are kind of hearing what you're saying, but you know, traditionally, you know, like these are the sort of stuff they'd vote against, or they're kind of like, oh, you know, but you know, I trust national, I trust <laughs> ACT, like mm. that's kind of where I'd normally sit. And Maybe they voted against the the legislation around cannabis legalization. Mm. They kind of feel like all these things are tied into one agenda, and, and mm. they don't want to get <laughs> caught into it. What would you say to to someone that's sitting in this space, is listening, um, but is really just unsure?
1: I'd say that as with all things in kind of politics, I don't think that any politician, any person in power should be inherently and immediately trusted. And I expect that standard to be applied to me as well. I, I want to be held to account and I expect to be. So I'd say look at the evidence or speak to people in your community or reflect on the stuff that you've seen in your life. Cause all of us have a story, you know, even if it's your day to day where if you've ever had a drink that you actually didn't want to have, if you've had more drinks than you wanted to have, if you've seen, I don't know, whether it be violence or harm in your whanau or in your community, as a result of alcohol. if you have seen somebody thrown out a bar? of a bar? Like we've all seen some form of alcohol harm. And if you think about the fact that right now, the alcohol lobby is spending millions and millions of dollars manufacturing the conditions for precisely that, the evidence is clear. It's not about me. It's not about a political party. It's not even about parliament. It's not about government. It's about the evidence, and it's about all of our collective experiences and how we can do better.
0: Yeah, Kia ora. Kia ora. thank Definitely you, oh. agree. <laughs> oh, hey, thank you, thank you for coming on the show, and appreciate you know all the mahi that you do for our community, and yeah, for joining us uh, on a on a Friday night after <laughs> after doing the do.
1: Oh, you're so okay. welcome. I'd also say, actually, um, just on the sports one, like mm. that report was commissioned by the Nats. Mm. Like, it's yeah. so far from the greens and Sir Graham Lowe you know a man who is very well recognized who was knighted for his service to sport in this country is the person who chaired the report from the basis of which this draft law came Mm -hmm. about. So again, this is just some really straightforward stuff that, yeah, can go a long way to protecting our young people. It's not about prohibition. I'll be the last politician anybody can accuse of prohibition. It's just about sensible regulation. It's about doing common sense stuff. It's about reducing commercial power and enabling people to make better decisions without being so heavily influenced.
0: Oh, many. And, and, and again, like it doesn't need to be partisan, right? It's about our people. I would
1: hope it wasn't, but yeah. unfortunately Parliament is diminishing my <laughs> hope
0: in less partisanship, but, but, but we I'm can, hopeful. We can all have a role to play, and I think maybe that's the take we vote for in the general election. This is maybe something we can all get behind.
1: It's just an issue, eh? Yeah. yeah you don't You don't have to agree with me on everything. You don't have to agree with me on anything. But if this is something you agree with, then it's something that you'd hope that your political representatives also agree with.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, once again. Thanks for your time, my friend.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry for being so terrible with sound bites, but hopefully, oh, it's given you a no, full insight. You're great. You, know,
0: <laughs> you will digest this as we go. Coco
1: Catch you. of silent the podcast rate and review us on itunes or wherever you are listening and join the conversation by following us on facebook twitter or instagram the music from this podcast is from the album dissonance by jess jackson and leon shelley listen to more from these artists on spotify